0: Welcome to Micro, podcast for short but powerful writing. I'm your host, Drew Hawkins. This episode features three stories that accomplish so much in such a small amount of time and space. Each story is different from the others, but they're all very powerful. This first one manages to pack a narrative as dense and complex as a novel into a piece of microfiction. It's called Life Imitates Art, Sometimes Death Does Too. It was written by Precious Emmanuel and published by Mbari in September 2020. Enjoy.
1: The feeling as I live is bittersweet. I've missed Tolu. And seeing the grave just gives everything a sense of finality. The relief, the peace I feel walking out, gives me a feeling of lightness, despite my grief. I feel like I am floating. The first time I remember ever feeling this way was the day I met Tolu. I was going home from school that day. The sun was boiling, determined to scorch everything before the clouds on the horizon closed in. The white and black regulation dress stifled. My head was pounding, and I longed for my bed. Despite the scorching heat, I walked briskly to the park. My heart was racing, sweat poured out of my body. My thoughts were jumbled, flowing into and out of each other like a river. Waters blew, blue, they lied when they said it was testless, because it wasn't, I wouldn't be nice if I could just teleport to my bed, and why do feet smell and noses run, when feet are used for running and noses are used for smelling. When I reached the park, all thoughts ceased. There were too many students and no buses. Please what happened? I asked one of the many students smiling about, yanking him towards me. He told me the bus driver swam a strike. There was no way home. The main school gate was fifteen minutes was a fifteen minute drive from the park. I was going to walk that distance under the angry sun. The sun wasn't that hot anyway, I thought, wiping the many rivulets on my forehead. I was about to start walking when a taxi driver called out. Thank you. Students sprinted desperately to his taxi, every one of them wanting to get home. I was there too, struggling for the taxi, elbowing and shoving. I felt explosive strength, boundless energy. I could do anything. Then a boy shoved me with his shoulders, slamming my body against the side of the taxi. Without thinking, or maybe thinking too fast, I grabbed the boy's arms and clamped down hard with my teeth still tasting the stale saltiness of sweat. It was like I was watching myself do this. The boy howled like a wounded wolf. It was frightening. Hands were around me, struggling to tear me off. Let go Lola. Come on, this is insane. A tiny voice in my head tried to say, but it was drowned out by all the remaining screams inside my head, and my teeth just clamped down harder. I knew what I was doing was crazy, but I couldn't stop. The thing about bipolar disorder is that it makes you lose insight, narrowing your focus to a needle point so that everything and everyone else gets lost in the periphery. It is total self-absorption. When my heart stopped racing and the screams in my head stopped, I was sitting on a hard chair in an air-conditioned room, waiting to face panel.
0: Precious Emmanuel is a law student living in Kano, Nigeria. You can find him on Twitter at Precious Toby or on his website at itsjustrambling.wordpress.com. This next piece was chosen as Story of the Month and originally published in Fiction Southeast on October 15, 2020. It's called Aperture and it was written by Christy Alexandra Hallberg. Please enjoy.
2: Aperture. I photograph them in black and white, never color. Color alters context, I tell their grieving families, friends, lovers. Like illusion, a sleight of hand, a figment of my artist's imagination. I want to make them real, candid, hidden truths exposed, my lens wide open. Mine is an anachronistic art, photographing the dead. The Victorian age, when such a somber practice was in vogue, itself long dead. I have no business cards or social media presence, no brick-and-mortar studio with anodyne décor and anemic backdrops, funereal blackout curtains adding insult to injury and illness. My services are advertised by word of mouth in my hometown. A bible-choked southern hamlet from which I never escaped, like most of my subjects, I come to them when I am called, racing rigor mortis, for pliable limbs and tractable faces, to capture them, frame by frame, through monochrome viewing filters, hues and tints excised like tumors, essence, if not existence, restored. I have perched ashen infants, swaddled in christening blankets, in the arms of wailing mothers with eyes deep as the grave. "'Arranged beloved dolls at the feet of an emaciated young woman strapped in a bent wood rocker, "'capose sarcoma lesion on her neck, marking her like a scarlet letter. "'Propped a scowling teenager against his saturnine sister, "'whose middle finger covered the bullet hole in his temple. "'Nabbed a young widower sprawled beside his seraphic wife on their marriage bed. "'Her face veiled in white lace and lilacs, "'his hand covering her missing breast as if it were a placeholder.' I have documented my own mother, the photograph like a painting, a Cezanne peasant woman enveloped in darkness, clutching her prayer beads as if they were an antidote for despair, head bowed, eyes open, downcast, submissive, the barren white walls as desolate as she. Hers were the secrets I most wanted to reveal, her crippling, Catholic guilt as grotesque as a Flannery O'Connor tale, for the black baby her white womb had expelled silent and breathless, and the lover she'd sacrificed to a posse's noose to assuage her family's white rage in the days of separate but equal. Her father, or perhaps her brother, had photographed the broken body dangling from an oak tree like a piece of Billie Holiday's strange fruit, a verse from Hebrews written on the back of the sepia snapshot in her father's imperious hand, Vengeance belongeth to me, and I will repay. She'd kept it, even after she'd fled the house of the father and son, buried it in a box in a closet beneath years of aftermath and artifice, this holy image, forsaken and alone. Her death was the will of the pandemic spring. Another breathless black body, like her lover named George, captured on film stoking her guilt. Her sacred photograph, exhumed, cradled in her supplicating hands, both past and prologue, I wish I could peel back the layers of resin and polyethylene, strep his image bare of pain and paradox, set him free.
0: Christy Alexander Hallberg teaches literature and writing at East Carolina University and serves as Senior Associate Editor of North Carolina Literary Review, and editor of Flash Friday USA at Litro Magazine. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Christy Hallberg or on her website at ChristyAlexanderHallberg.com. Our final piece is as earnest as it is urgent. It's called Pink Postcard. It was written by Nair Ransom and published in their book, Peeling bandages.
3: Enjoy. You are rushing. You stop at Highland Coffee to pick up a white rose tea. Today is one of the rare days that you can afford this indulgence. It is steaming. It needs honey. You are in a haste. Unbeknownst to you, you did not properly secure the lid. You place the elixir into a cup holder. You pull out of your parking space. Despite your urgency to make it to the board meeting on time, you still opt for the less efficient but more visually appealing route along the levee. It is another small gift you give yourself. You are about six months into a gratitude practice that you will abandon six months later. Five years and 2,200 miles from now, you will return to it and it will return you home. But on this day, as you make your way up the road, you turn your attention to the cup in the center console. You lift the beverage by the lid, and gravity does its work. The contents of the container empty into your lap. You are surprised. Too surprised to register the blistering. You are 21 and have survived enough trauma to expertly dissociate. This is the first time that this coping mechanism has legitimately served you. You are, after all, behind the wheel of a moving vehicle. Being present in your body, reacting to this pain, could end much worse than temporarily removing yourself from your vessel. You keep driving. Your t-shirt and jeans are soaked in now the same temperature as the tea. They remain pressed to your skin until you find parking. You limp up the stairs to the conference room. You are holding your shirt away from your body. The ED notices your distress. He ushers you into his office and finds you a shirt left over from a recent fundraiser. You make your way to the restroom. You peel off your soaked shirt on the inside. There is a layer of your skin pasted to the fabric. This is the moment you realize that you can indeed put blood, sweat, and tears into youth development. If this had been one of your retail jobs, you would have pulled over and called out. But young people cannot wait for your injury. The decisions being made down the hall will directly impact them. You are their primary advocate, the only person in that room who has been on the receiving end of this board's decisions. You owe it to everyone coming after you to speak up in this space. You can't do that if you are not there. But the ED urges you to leave the meeting. You reluctantly acquiesce. You go straight to urgent care. Your best friend meets you there. There's a pink patch the size of a postcard on the lower right side of your abdomen. And you know that there should have never been a pit stop to the boardroom but you still feel guilty for being anything less than superhuman. The social scientist in you knows that being black, queer and woman are all the reasons that taking care of yourself feels like a transgression. This unrealistic expectation is often the reason you wish to shed your skin, though you did not imagine the universe would take that request quite so literally. You just wanted the privilege of feeling. You've watched your white counterparts weaponize their emotions your entire life. From your aunt to the white women who are discussing the trajectory of an organization that serves mostly black youth. White women who now have dominion in a space that you should have been present in. This is how you unlearn martyrdom. In an emergency room with nothing left to do but bandage your wounds and wait to heal. This is how is how you learn that you are far more valuable when you are whole.
0: Nair writes things and hopes people like it. They're really bad at professional bios, though. No worries, Nair. Their piece, Pink Postcard, can be found in their book, Peeling Bandages, available for purchase on Amazon. You can find Nayir on Instagram at Nayirransom Ransom or on Twitter at Nay underscore Ransom. produced and hosted by me, Drew Hawkins. Original music is by Matt Ordez. You can find all of the information about this episode's writers, their featured work, and the publications where they were published in the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and check out some of our other episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also always find our shows at micropodcast.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast Micro. Thanks for listening.